Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. In the context of the Old Testament, as we've mentioned to you multiple times, in the relationship of the Old Testament, there are nine names referring to our God from the title of Jehovah or Lord. And in those nine names that are given, seven are redemptive. Seven have redemptive aspects of them that relate to what Jesus, our Redeemer, would do for us. And through those names, as we have known and obviously been taught in our church, through those names, through the Old Testament, we understand in fulfillment of Jesus accomplishing that for us, that now belongs to us. We now have that as a part of our redemption. Aren't you glad? So part of what the word redemption means is to do what? Change positions. Change positions. When you're redeemed, you've been taken out of a position of where you were under the control of the enemy and in this world and brought over into the kingdom of God's love. You were seated at the right hand of God with Jesus in the heavenlies. And so you have a new position, praise God. God wants you to walk in the light of that. Amen? Amen. So we've already talked about, uh, we've gone over four of these names already. Jehovah Jireh, which means what? What does it mean? The Lord sees. Jireh actually doesn't mean provider. means he sees. He sees what you have need of, and he'll provide it. Amen? The second one we covered was Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. He is the one that completes us. How about Jehovah Nisi? The Lord our banner or standard, meaning what? He'll actually, if we continue to walk under that, that aspect of his acknowledgement over our life of what he has done for us, he'll help us to walk in victory. He'll give us victory. Amen? And then the last one we just touched on was Jehovah Rapha, which is the Lord our healer. I like one actual context of that word, literally defines him as our physician. Tell your neighbor, I got a good physician. Aren't you glad? We're going to get into the fifth one today of these seven titles. We're going to pick it up here in Psalm 23. Matter of fact, we're going to look at the whole Psalm. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through. Say, I'm going through. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you say amen? Now, we're going to walk through all of this in just a minute, but I want to start here with the key phrase in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Say that. The Lord is my shepherd. So the Hebrew here is Jehovah Rohi. R-O-H-I. Jehovah Rohi. Which refers to these redemptive, one of these seven redemptive names as the Lord being our shepherd. 
When Jesus came, he came to fulfill what was needed for us to have him, John 10, as the good shepherd over our life. They clearly understood this in Jesus' day and even old times, Old Testament times, because there were a lot of people that had obviously herds of flocks, of sheep, herds of animals, you know, including cows, etc. So they clearly understood in the sheep phrase what was necessary to have a shepherd to take care of those sheep. So the Lord is the one who we want to be our shepherd. Now this phrase, Jehovah Rohi, or the Lord is my shepherd, means that my shepherd is the Lord. In essence, what you're saying is, he's supreme in authority over my life. Lord means supreme in authority. How do you get born again? How do you get born again? Pray the prayer of salvation. There is no such prayer in the Bible. How do you get born again? The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, that you call upon the name of the Lord. So what you do is you say, I'm tired of being my Lord. I want you to be the Lord. I want you to be supreme in authority. You have a plan for my life. Like Stephen said, you got a plan for me. I want to walk in that plan. Even though I, under sin, may have messed up a lot of my life, you can put all things back together and help me fulfill that plan. Amen? But to do that, he needs to become what? Lord of your life. You cannot walk in what he just described. And I'm going to give you eight things there as an overall category. I'm going to give you eight things he just said you get as a benefit of him being the shepherd of your life. But you can't do that if he's not shepherding you. If I choose to go a different direction than what God wants for my life, he can't fulfill what he wants in my life. You know, that's just like the same example of somebody who knows in the context as a parent what's good for their child, but their child upon the time that they get old enough to make their decisions, go do what they want. Well, they could turn around and do things on their own the way they want to that could be detrimental or harm for their life. Stephen just gave you a great testimony. Right? They could have obeyed God, which they did, and honored God with the gift he gave them and what he wanted them to do. Or they could have chosen riches and fame from the worldly perspective. And in choosing to go down that pathway, guess what? They'd have missed out on a lot of what God wanted for their life. Not because God doesn't love them. Not because God doesn't care about them. But because they wouldn't have been having him shepherd their life. But in obedience to the Lord and obeying what they knew God called them to do, guess what? God can shepherd you. God wants to shepherd you. So clearly he says here in this psalm, the psalm of David. How I many of David clearly understood this? He was a shepherd. He was now saying what? I'll tell you who my shepherd is. It's the Lord. I submit to him as what? The one who's supreme. Supreme over my life. Notice this. If I have the Lord as my shepherd, number one, I shall not want. Write it down. Number one, I won't lack what I need. I won't lack what I need. To not want here means to not lack. Now, the Bible's clear under the New Testament, redeeming work of Jesus Christ. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Not going to, says he already has. The key for me and you is, is for us to not lack what we have need of. Guess what we need to do? Look to him as the provider. Look to him and obviously what he desires for our life to find what God desires to do to bless our life. God doesn't lead anybody into poverty. I can't find a place in all the Bible he led anybody into poverty. It doesn't mean they may not have faced some challenging times, but I'll tell you what God did. He took care of them. He walked them through it. He made sure they had what they needed. Praise God. How about the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness? Now, they didn't have to be there 40 years, by the way. Why were they out there 40 years? They chose not to obey God as their shepherd. 
right? But even in the midst of that, did they lack? No, they didn't, because God was also taking care of and overseeing what? He was taking care of and overseeing Joshua and Caleb, who were going to go into that promised land. So understand if you and I will make the Lord our shepherd, and I'm going to explain how he shepherds you today. Guess what? Number one, I will not lack. I'll have what I need. Say it. Verse 2, he goes on and says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Lie down in green pastures. This refers to like a lush environment, a very calm and comforting environment. He makes me to lie down in these green pastures. Number two, I want you to write this down. He will have a place for me to gather that's peaceful. He will have a place for me to gather that's peaceful. Hebrew writers tell us this phrase of a shepherd bringing his sheep to lie down in green pastures is what they did when they brought them into the folds at night where they were in this perimeter protected area. And that is not referring to actually any feeding because they're lying down in green pastures. So what are they doing? They're coming to a protected perimeter area. I've taught you this before, remember? They brought them into a fold, all these different flocks, so they could protect them at night. Well, guess what God wants to do for your life as somebody who, he, who he's shepherding? He wants to bring you into a protected perimetered area. A place where obviously wolves are kept out and you are kept safe. You know where that is? That's your local church. Yes. I'm going to show you today in just a minute how he's going to shepherd you through a local shepherd. So if you're walking out him as your shepherd, God's going to direct you to the church he has for you where he can keep you protected and safe. Where you're not going to be taken advantage of by the wolves of the day. And by the deception of the day. We're going to get back into this tonight in our uh, teaching on the last day survival guide. Based on Dr. Barclay's you know, ministry class of advanced survival techniques. But part of the key for the remnant church is to realize that in the last days, Jesus said in Matthew 24, many would be deceived. That's what he said. He said there would be many false ministers who would deceive many. Well, when you follow Jesus as your shepherd, you obey your heart, you connect with where God wants you to connect with with a shepherd, guess what God just brought you into? Number two, he brought me into a place together that's perimetered and protected. You know, people can say sometimes we're a little stiff on allowing, excuse me, not allowing people in leadership to do certain things, but I'm going to tell you why. We're protecting you. We're not going to allow people to do things here as leadership that's unbiblical or not right that can affect people in a negative way. Amen? Not only that, we're going to protect you from people, obviously, in the pulpit that shouldn't be here. We don't just allow somebody to come because they're famous or well-known. Everybody that comes into this pulpit, we have a relationship with. How do you tell a false prophet? By their fruit. What's their fruit? Lifestyle. Well, how do you know that if you don't know the person? See, a lot of people put people in pulpits. They don't even know them. They're doing it because they're famous. They draw a crowd. But the problem is, if you don't know their lifestyle, guess what? You could be hurting the sheep. You could be hurting the flock. Because how many know Satan's a deceiver, and he's good at it? And the Bible says he has his own ministers of righteousness. So part of connecting with the right shepherd and where God wants you in being shepherded, you're in a protected perimeter area where God's going to keep the wolves out through the leadership of that church. Amen? Amen. Notice the next one. Number three, he says, he's going to lead me beside what? He will lead me beside still waters. Number three, he's going to provide you a place without strife and division. He's going to provide you in a place where there's no strife or division. Still waters refers to a place that you can come get refreshed where the waters aren't being stirred up. 
where strife and division is not going on. So the context, again, in relationship to the church, how many know the one thing we've got to make sure we keep out of our church? Strife and division. Now, that don't mean we don't have some disagreements, right? Everybody can agree to disagree and not get all caught, caught up in strife and division and try to cause divisions and problems. Amen? Amen? But as a pastor, part of, again, while we address division or strife when it begins is because we want you to have a peaceful place to come. We don't want you to come to a place where the waters are all muddied, as Dr. Barclay says, that are all trampled underfoot by the animals, obviously, causing problems and stirring things up. Now, we want you to come and get refreshed. And thank God when you have the right shepherd, guess what? You can be refreshed where God has for you to go. The next thing he says, I love this in verse 3, he restores my soul. Say, the Lord restores my soul. You know what your pastor can't do? Restore your soul. But you know what the Lord can do? Restore your soul. You know what the book of James says about this? Your soul is not saved. You know, I know there's a, I know there's a proverb that says, you know, the man who wins souls is wise. But if you look up that word, see, there's different words in the Hebrew context that refers to the part of man as to whether it's talking about his spirit or his soul or his body. And sometimes in the English, it gets mixed up. But guess what? Your soul didn't get saved when you got born again. Your soul did not get saved. Your spirit did. You got a brand new spirit. I love what, you know, again, uh, context of his song, through the eyes of God's love, you should see yourself the way he does now. Why? Because he sees you perfect because your spirit's perfect. You're a brand new spirit being. You're a new creation. I said, you're a new creation. You have no flaws in your spirit man. But thank God for Dr. Sumrall who was one of our pastor's closest spiritual dads who learned this early on and began to teach it and literally lived it out. You are a spirit who has a soul and you live in a body. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Guess what your soul needs to be? It needs to be restored. It doesn't get born again. It's got to be restored. James tells you in chapter 1 that your soul literally is not saved. It needs to be renewed to the Word of God. I was telling this again to somebody the other day. I said, the problem why so many believers are struggling in walking in the beauty of what God has for them, they have not renewed their mind to who they really are. They don't see themselves the way God does. They don't see themselves as to who they are as a new creation. They're still looking at the person on the outside, all the actions of that old nature, and they're saying, look how bad I am. Look how horrible. Look what I just did. Look what I just... No, 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 no. That's not the real you. The real you is a spirit man, born again, born in the image and likeness of God. If you're born in the image and likeness of God, there's nothing of that new born again man that has any imperfections about him. Can I get a better amen? But you know what you need? You need your soul restored. Wait a minute. Who's going to restore your soul? Your shepherd. He restores my soul. How does he do that? He's the word. He's the Word that became flesh who dwelt among men. How does your soul get restored? Through the Word. So this is powerful. You need to get this. Number four, if you have Jesus as your shepherd, and I'm going to show you how to do that in a minute, then your soul can be renewed. Number four, your soul can be renewed. Because what is my soul being renewed by? The Word of God. I'm getting my soul restored or renewed By the Word of God. And I was going to mention again, as I was talking to somebody the other day, I said the problem again where you're at in the context of your walk right now with God is, you're not renewing your mind consistently enough to see what God sees. 
And because you're not, you're still walking under that old Adamic nature. If you don't renew your mind, Romans 12, 2, there is no change of life. There's no transformation outwardly of what's on the inside without the renewal of the mind. Right? You got to present your body, Romans 12, 1, as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. You can't let your body just do what it wants. Right? Like, like Brother, uh, Brother Hagen used to say, Kenneth Hagen Sr., he said, you got to do something with your body. I can see you like that. You got to do something with your body. You listening? Now, why did Brother Hagin say it? Because the Bible did. You got to present your body as a living sacrifice. You can't just let your body do whatever it wants. You know, most of you on Sunday morning, your body don't want to get up and go to church. Your body wants to stay in bed and sleep. Maybe yours does. My body didn't want to get up this morning. My body wasn't real excited about getting up this morning, but my spirit was. You listening? But if you present your body as a living sacrifice, you don't do what your body wants to do. You renew your mind to this new man and you say, nope, this is who I am. This is how I am now perceived and seen by God. And therefore, I'm going to walk in the light of that. But it doesn't happen without mind renewal. But remember this. Your pastor is not restoring your soul. Who is? The Word is. What's your pastor giving you? The Word. He's giving you the very thing you need to restore your soul and be renewed in your soul. Amen? Which then transformation takes place. Latter part of verse 3. I love this. He leads me. Say, leads me. He leads me in the paths of what? Righteousness for his namesake. He's leading me in a pathway of life to do what's right. The gift of righteousness is yours by free birth. By a free birth. You didn't earn the birth that you got as a child of God. That free birth is a gift by God. You put your faith in Jesus, guess what you became? The righteousness of God. But the term righteousness is not wrapped up in just the free gift. It also refers to doing what's right. In the sight of God. You know why I do what's right in the sight of God? Because I am right. I am righteous. I have righteousness in me. So I do what's right in the sight of God because I am now walking in the new man. That new righteousness. Amen? Amen. So what he's saying here clearly is you and I got to understand this shepherd. If he's shepherding us, what will he do? He'll lead me in paths of. See, this isn't talking about getting righteousness and salvation. This is talking about the life you're going to walk out. He will lead me in paths of righteousness, doing what's right for his namesake. This is number five. You can receive, being shepherded by Jesus, you can receive proper guidance. You can receive proper guidance. When you're being shepherded biblically according to the New Testament by Jesus, your shepherd, he's not going to lead you a wrong direction. He's not going to lead you to do something that ain't right. He's always going to lead you to do what's right. Now listen, what's always right isn't always easy. Are you listening? How many know it's right to ask somebody to forgive you when you just spouted something off you shouldn't have said? But you know what your flesh does? Your flesh says, oh man, just leave it alone, walk away, don't even worry about it. But the Bible tells you to do what? The Bible tells you to acknowledge the wrong you've done. Isn't that correct? Book of James says you and I are supposed to confess our faults. New Testament, confess your faults to one another. That don't mean go around and tell everybody all the wrong you did. It means if you faulted somebody, you're to acknowledge, I was wrong, I shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that. How many know that's doing right in the sight of God? And in doing so, you're walking in love towards that other person. Walking in love, your faith works. So doing what's right isn't always easy. But when you're being shepherded by Jehovah Rohi, he's never going to lead you down a pathway that's wrong. And this is why it's going to be so important to understand, how do I walk with Jesus as my shepherd today? 
about to show you that. How do I do that? Because if I'm not, guess what you could be doing? Going down a wrong pathway. God has a way to help you be led in that which is right in the sight of God. And I mean, you know, that's only going to benefit you. That's only going to help benefit your life. That's only going to help make your life better. Aren't you glad about that? Verse 4, he says, Yea, though I walk through, through the valley of the shadow of death. That's where you're at right now. You're in a valley of a shadow of death, but you're not going to stay there. We're just walking through. You've heard it said many times, earth is not my home. I'm just passing through, right? So, yeah, I walk through this valley of a shadow because you won't be affected by the second death. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm going to fear no evil. Come on. For you are what? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they what? So part of what a shepherd has as well, how many know he has a shepherd's staff? Not, not acknowledged as a staff or a rod. And he does two things with it. As a rod, guess what the shepherd does with that rod? He actually beats off the wolves. He fights off the enemies with that rod to keep them away from the sheep. But how I many you know when a sheep gets in trouble, he uses it as an actual staff. That hook part is to actually hook that sheep like if they're on the side of a hill or something, pull them back up where they need to be, get them out of the trouble they're in. Amen? Well, this is powerful. So if I'm being shepherded by the Lord, this is powerful. Number six, I receive protection, listen, through pastoral care. I receive protection through pastoral care. You can look this up even by commentators who obviously are Hebrew scholars, which I am not. They will tell you, this protection that he is with me, how is he actually with me? How is his rod and staff comforting me? How does his rod and staff comfort me today? Because under proper pastoral care, guess what, the, guess what my pastor is going to do? He's going to use the word and the authority God gave him to keep evil driven off of my life. And he's going to use the word to pull me out of trouble that I'm in and bring me back to safety. And that's a part of what pastors do. Why we pray for you. Why we continue to speak the word to you. Why we take the word to actually help pull you up out of the circumstances that obviously God wants to free you from. But without pastoral care, you can't get that. But thank God we can. I said, thank God we can. That's the rod and the staff that we receive today. The rod, there's not correction. It's actually, again, the, the, the shepherd using it for protection. Number five, excuse me, uh, next one found in verse five. You also do what? You prepare a table, notice, before me in the presence. Come on, in the presence of my. You prepare this table, Lord, right in the presence of my enemies. Where are your enemies? They're all around. Oh, you can't see them. Your enemies aren't people. Your enemies are demons, principalities. Powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So right in the midst of all of this evil around us, guess what God has prepared for you? Where he is fulfilling his, his role of shepherd in your life. Guess what he's preparing for you? He is preparing a table of which you can sit down and feast at right in the midst of your enemies. This is powerful. You need to get it. Number seven, as he is your shepherd, he gives you a place to come feast on the word of God. He gives you a place to come feast on the word of God. What is this table prepared in the presence of my enemies? The table is what you get to come feed your spirit on, what you get to come feed on the truth of God's word on to help you understand all that he's done and provided for you that you can continue to receive all that God has in your life. Walk in the victory that he's provided for you. I mean, remember recently we just touched on that in our other series, right? That we've already been given victory in this life as our Jehovah Nisi, 
correct, but how do we walk in it? It tells you, even our faith. Our faith in what our standard bearer has done is how we walk in victory. So see, even though you got enemies all around, guess what God prepares for you every single time we come here? He prepares a feast. He prepares a table. You don't come here and fellowship with your enemies. We don't come here to fellowship with demons. We come to sit down at the table and get the feast on the Word of God and strengthen ourselves in the midst of all that's going on in this world. So this is a powerful blessing. Notice what else he does. He anoints my head with oil. My cup does what? He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. This is number eight. Guess what? Anointing will be found. Anointing will be found where the Lord is shepherding you. When the Lord is shepherding you, it's not just the word he's going to give you. He's going to give you the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He's going to give you the power of God to overcome your life. Right? Very clearly, he said there that he anoints my head with oil, my cup runs over. You know what that means? When you find the true shepherd God has for your life, they're not just going to teach you quote-unquote man-made religion, which is not what we need. They're not just going to teach you the truth of the Word of God, which we do need. They're also going to teach you about an empowerment called the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come up on you, and then you'll be my witnesses. So being shepherded by Jesus means I'm in a place where I'm learning about the anointing of God, how to actually get that anointing on my life where the Holy Spirit can empower me to walk in victory. When Jesus is shepherding me, I'm in such a church. Because he's not going to leave out the anointing. The anointing removes burdens and destroys yokes. I thank God for any pastor that will get in a pulpit and preach truth, but when they leave out the power of the Holy Spirit... You're, you're leaving out almost all the book of Acts. Because almost everything that happened in the book of Acts happened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Which Jesus specifically told them in the very beginning of the book, before you go anywhere, go to Jerusalem. And you wait to receive the promise of the Father, at which time, right, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Were they already born again? Yes, they were. Most people still don't understand Acts chapter 2. Well, they got born again. No, they didn't. What are you going to do at the end of John's gospel when he's still with them? Because before he left the planet, before he ever ascended to heaven, in the end of John's gospel, the Bible says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. How many know they got born again? But he said, you need more than a born again experience. You need this baptism. You need this empowerment. You need this power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, this anointing on your life so you can be my witnesses. Well, how are you going to be a witness for God under the anointing? Because you're going to walk in liberty. You're going to walk in that power. That power is going to free you. How many have been freed from stuff by the power of the Holy Spirit? And that makes you a living testimony, a living witness to others. And therefore, your cup is what? Your cup is running over because the power of God is operating in your life. Could I get an amen? These eight things working in your life with Jesus being your Jehovah Rohi, your shepherd. Notice the result. Verse 6, therefore, surely goodness and mercy are going to do what? They're going to follow you. They're going to follow you. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. How many? All the days of my life. And that actually refers to the context of the time we're living here. Notice this verse, last part of verse 6. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord what? Now, if you have a center column reference Bible, you'll notice a little two next to that. And if you go over to your center column reference Bible, you'll notice for the word forever, it actually means to the end of my days. So it's not referring to all eternity. Because guess what? Your all eternity has no end of days. But here on earth, your time has an end of 
days. In all of this context, he's referring to one thing as it relates to how Jesus is your Jehovah Rohi, and that's you finding the shepherd you have here on earth and to get into his house. I will dwell in the house of the Lord all my days. You know why? Because that's where God, Jesus, is going to shepherd me through a shepherd that he gave to me as a gift to me. Can I get a better amen? amen? So if you allow him to be your Jehovah Rohi, which he has provided opportunity for you to have under the New Testament, they didn't have that under the Old Testament because Jesus hadn't given these gifts yet. Go to Jeremiah 3. Go to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jesus had not yet given the gifts that we're about to see in a minute in Ephesians 4 to the body of Christ. Why? He hadn't come. He hadn't died yet. So you could not have all of the context of the Old Testament people under the Old Testament could not have the experience of what he's talking about for us in relationship to Jesus being our shepherd. He had not fulfilled that yet. Now, clearly, they could have walked in obedience to God. They could walk in relationship with God. And God certainly promised over and over again, if they did, he would take care of them. But under the New Testament, ladies and gentlemen, we now have the privilege of having Jesus be our shepherd. I said we now have the privilege of having Jesus be our shepherd. Aren't you glad? So notice this in Jeremiah 3. This is a prophecy of what we're going to see fulfilled in Ephesians chapter 4 in a minute. Literally the Lord here speaking through the prophet Jeremiah in his day says in verse 14. Jeremiah 3, 14. If you're there, say amen. Return, O backsliding children. Now remember, Old Testament is interpreted in the light of the new. Old Testament was written for our admonition. Old Testament was given for us to learn things as it relates to us in the New Testament. How many know that we were all backslidden sinners in the sense that we were not, obviously. I, I believe this all in my heart. This, this kind of may get into some controversy with some people, but it's simple. How many know when you're born in this earth, you belong to God? Where'd your spirit come from? God. He's the creator of all spirits. You know your spirit was perfect when you got born? There wasn't nothing wrong with your spirit. You know why children are so much more apt to yield to God when they're young? Because they haven't died spiritually yet. The Bible says when you come to the knowledge of sin, Paul said it, Romans chapter 7, when you come to the knowledge of sin, you die. Yes. Now see, that take heart because guess what? Any child that ever sadly lost their physical life on this planet before getting born again doesn't mean they went to hell. Their spirits came from God. Yes. You listening? But literally Paul said in Romans chapter 7, when the law came, sin revived in my life and I died. Well, he didn't die physically. He's writing the letter. So what does he mean? I died spiritually. But because I died spiritually, now I got to be what? I got to be born a second time. I got to do this over. I got to get born again, get a brand new spirit in me by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did. Can I get an amen? So literally he is talking here about you and I. When you were born in this earth, guess what? You were perfect as a spirit being. But sin revived and we died. And he's saying, come back to me. New Testament for me and you. Come back to me. Verse 14. Return, O backsliding children. Say, I have. If you're born again, you have. Return, says the Lord. Why? Because I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city, two from a family, and I'll bring you to Zion. I'll bring you to Zion. Now, Zion refers here, if you, if you really want to understand the simplicity of the word Zion, it has multiple applications. It referred to Jerusalem. It referred to any place where God's presence resided. Well, guess what happens when you get born again? Guess what happens when you get born again? You become a part of Zion. 
That's why we say oftentimes the word Zion, Old Testament, New Testament refers to the body of Christ, to the church, to you, because it's where he resides. Aren't you glad when you got born again, he came to live within you? So he resides in you. He's saying, I want you to come back to this place where I can reside in you, Zion. I want you to return to me, the Lord, and I want to have the privilege of having my presence back in you. Notice this, 15, and I will then do what? What am I going to do? Once my presence is back in you, what am I going to do? I'm going to give you shepherds. What am I going to do? I'm going to give you shepherds. This is the Lord speaking. This is not the Father. This is the Lord speaking. I'm going to give you shepherds according to my heart. You know why? Because he's a shepherd. Jesus is a shepherd. I'm going to give you shepherds according to my heart. Watch. Who will feed you, underline it, with knowledge and understanding. What do I need in my life? This gift that Jesus gave me of a shepherd. Because if I have this gift that Jesus gave me of a shepherd, he's going to do two things. He's going to teach me with knowledge, but he's also going to teach me with understanding. You know what I've given you up to this point in this message? Knowledge. You know what I'm about to give you? Understanding. Knowledge is not enough. To know what the Bible says is good, to understand how to apply it is far better. A gifted shepherd doesn't just give you knowledge. A gifted shepherd says, so this is how you apply this. This is how you walk this out. What I just gave you is knowledge of eight things God will do in your life if Jesus is actually functioning as your shepherd. You listening? But now I'm going to give you understanding how you walk that out. So this is a reference talking about of you and me getting the presence of God, Zion, back in our life. Wherever the presence of the Lord is, God calls Zion. And when that happens, I'm going to do what? Give you shepherds. So we clearly know he's referring to the New Testament because the, new, the presence of God couldn't come back in you until you were born again. As a prophetic statement. You understand? I understand he's addressing the children of Israel. But oftentimes when he's speaking to the children of Israel in the Old Testament, he's prophesying of what you and I have the privilege to walk in. Go to, with me to Ephesians 4. So clearly, they, quote-unquote, didn't have shepherds in the context of the Old Testament to shepherd them, did they? No. They had one priest, Aaron. Correct? But he said, I'm going to give you shepherds. Why? Because there's going to be a lot of you. And because there's going to be a lot of you, there needs to be one, more than one Aaron. Are you listening? You, you're going to have so many people that I'm going to come and inhabit that I'm going to have to give you shepherds. Not each one of you multiple shepherds, but I'm going to have to give you shepherd. But these shepherds are going to do what? They're going to have my heart. If they're truly from Jesus, they're going to have my heart. They're going to have a shepherd's heart to be able to fulfill those eight things in your life that he talked about in Psalm 23. That's what they're going to help to do. That's what they're going to be a part of helping you do. How are they going to do that? By giving you knowledge and giving you understanding. So most of you know these verses, and for the sake of time, because I'm not getting into an in-depth teaching here about shepherding. We've talked about it before. But notice Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. This refers to Jesus when he, after having died for us, ascended back to heaven. So this is referring to when Jesus went back to heaven. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, went back to heaven... He led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. I mean, you know who the captivity was that he led out from captivity that were captive? Old Testament saints. They were seen walking the streets of Jerusalem. Can you imagine that, Steve? I mean, I think about, they were walking the streets of Jerusalem, man. Ascending to heaven when Jesus came up from the dead. As Jesus ascends, guess what? They go with him. He led them back to heaven with him. 
But notice this at the last part of verse 8. What did Jesus do as he ascended? Tell me out loud. He gave gifts to what? To men. He gave gifts to men. How many know Jesus gave us five gifts? He gave the body of Christ five gifts. Why would you reject the gifts Jesus has for you? Why would you say, Jesus, I know you gave me these gifts. I don't need them. I don't want them. Forget it. I, I don't have to have any of those gifts in my life to walk with you. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute. Why do you think I gave you these five gifts? Now, for the sake of time, verse 9 and 10 is just referring to the fact before he ascended to heaven, he what? He descended. He went into the center of the earth first. Then he ascended to heaven. Now he picks back up verse 11, and here's these gifts. And he himself, Jesus, personally, personally, Jesus himself gave. Say, Jesus gave. What did he give to men? He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some what? Now, the word for pastors there is shepherds. Shepherds. Of the fivefold ministry gifts, and by the way, you need all of them speaking into your life. He gave us these fivefold ministry gifts to do what? Next verse. Uh, to, uh, to equip the saints for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the work of ministry, fulfilling our purpose, what we're here to do. He is here to, with these fivefold gifts, he is here to work through those gifts for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Watch this. For the edifying of the body of Christ to help build up the body and make the body strong. Till we all come to what? The unity of the faith. When's that going to happen? When Jesus returns. Fivefold ministry are going to be here. Once Jesus returns, you don't need me anymore. You listening? You don't need apostles. You don't need prophets. You don't need teachers. You don't need evangelists. When Jesus returns, guess what? You don't need those fivefold ministry anymore. You got him directly. You got him directly. But how does Jesus shepherd us in this earth? Through these gifts. He shepherds us through these gifts. If you operate with Jesus as your Jehovah Rohi, you get the benefit of these eight things we talked about. But how do I do that? I got to receive these gifts. Notice he says, these are going to be here to equip you, verse 13, till we all come to this unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to know him as he's known, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that's you being just like him in a glorified body, 14, that we should no longer, what should we no longer be? Children. Immature believers is the word there. Napios. Immature believers. There's many, sadly, on the planet. But he said you shouldn't be. We should no longer be these immature children who are tossed to and fro and they're carried about by every wind of doctrine or teaching by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. How many know God does not want that for your life? All verse 14 is, is that he's saying, I want you to grow up so you're not taken advantage of. But to do that, you got to do what? Let me shepherd you. You got to let me be your Jehovah Rohi. And the way you do that is through these five gifts that I gave you to shepherd you, to equip you. How many people say today, I don't need to go to church? Well, listen, what you're saying is, I don't need the gift Jesus has for me. Because we found out in Psalm 23 that to get the benefit of him being my Jehovah Rohi, what am I going to do? I'm going to abide in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I'm not going to bail on church and what God has for me. Now, that doesn't mean every church has in it a shepherd Jesus put there. I mean, you know that. Again, because Matthew 24, Jesus said in the last days, There'll be many false ministers. Moving on, verse 15. But guess what these fivefold ministry uh, gifts are going to do? They're going to speak the truth in love. What are they going to do? They're going to speak the truth. If you love somebody, what do you do? You don't lie to them. You tell them the truth. You don't beat them over the head with the Bible. 
I was talking to Joshua this morning. I said, forever we've had these two false narratives in the body of Christ. We've had the religious false narrative. You got to do all this stuff or you're going to hell. You could have never earned your way to hell or you didn't need Jesus. If you could do all this stuff to not go to hell, you didn't need Jesus come die for you. You could have done that on your own. So religion says you got to do all this stuff. Bless God, or you're, you're condemned and you're going to hell. Aren't you glad we're supposed to be like Jesus? Jesus said, I don't condemn you. I'm not here to damn you to, to hell. I'm here to pull you out of that. So religion telling you that you got to do that, you can't do that. Jesus is the one that pulls you out of that. Now we've got the hyper grace message. It's not new. It's back in the book of Jude. It's in the New Testament. It's already written about in the New Testament. It was already going on back in that day. Everybody's like, wow, we got this whole hyper grace message brand new. No, uh-uh, nothing new under the sun. Literally, literally Jude wrote about it and said, listen, you beware of these people who say, I have the grace of God. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. I can live any way I want. Well, you can live any way you want, but not because of the grace of God. Titus said grace teaches you to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Meaning what? I know that's not right. That's going to hurt my life. Can I do it? Sure. Yeah. If I sin, is God punishing you? No. If God punishes you for sin that you've actually repented of and he's actually forgiven you and got you brand new on the inside, then guess what? Jesus literally bore your punishment in vain. He didn't just bear your sin. He bore the punishment your sin deserved. So we're, we're back over on the religion side again. If you sin, God's going to get you. No, he won't. Jesus bore your punishment. Come on, somebody. Help me preach. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sin, He's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, breaking away of fellowship. But then it goes on to say in chapter 2, and don't forget this one thing. When you repent, don't forget you have an advocate with the Father who is the propitiation for your sin. Propitiation meaning what? He bore my punishment. So don't think God's going to punish you because you sin. No, you punish yourself for wrong choices. You give Satan opportunity to take advantage if you, if you choose things that are wrong. God didn't punish you. God's not going to punish you. But the hyper grace message is it doesn't matter how I live. I can do whatever I want. I'm forgiven. There's some truth in there. You are forgiven, but living any way you want doesn't mean you're not going to experience bad consequences. Well, you know, you just live, live however you want because after all, God still loves you. Well, sure he loves you. God loves every sinner in hell the same. As he loves you. God hates no one. God is love. He hates what sin does to people. He hates what the devil does to take advantage of people's lives to leave them, lead them down the pathway of not walking right. And therefore opening up the opportunity for Satan to take advantage of your life. But guess what? If you sinned or goofed up, you don't do it because you're under grace. You did it because you got into the flesh. But thank God I'm saved. Thank God I'm still born again. I didn't lose my right standing with God. And Jesus bore my punishment. Aren't you glad about that? But you got to realize, folks, that you got to know this five-fold ministry is to do what? Fifteen, speak the truth in love. So we are at a day-to-day where that rarely happens in most churches. Seriously. Literally, Hosea prophesied in the last days, guess what? He said there's going to be a famine of the word. You're going to have a famine of the true teaching of the word. Because if a fivefold minister really loves you, guess what they're going to tell you? The whole truth. You want to know the whole truth? Yes, God loves you. Aren't you glad? You can't earn your way to heaven. Aren't you glad? But if you keep living and doing things wrong, 
If God said right here, if you don't forgive, he can't forgive you. He wasn't lying about that. You listening? I'm sad to say we have ministers today who are now saying, well, Jesus said that, but he was talking to the Old Testament crowd. Are you kidding me? Don't listen to the one that died for you. Well, you know what Jesus also said? Jesus also said, now, I tell you, under the Old Testament, God said you shall not murder. But I say you shall not even have hatred in your heart for somebody or you've already murdered them. Oh, so we're supposed to throw that out because that was Jesus talking to the Old Testament crowd. Are you kidding me? Jesus was trying to help make our life better. You listening? Like the woman in adultery. Listen, I'm not going to condemn you, but don't keep living this way. Don't keep living in sin because you're going to hurt your life. This is not good. The wages of sin is still death. You don't believe it? Sin against your spouse, you'll destroy your marriage. You'll kill it. You'll kill it. You keep committing it. I'm not saying you are. If you committed adultery sin on your spouse, guess what? You can kill your marriage. If you steal from your boss and they, and they find out, guess what? You kill your job. Amen. See, if you live in sin, you can still see death as a result. That's basically things what? Being taken away from you, things being broken off of you. Are you still here? Yeah. That don't mean everybody's sin. That, that kind of, Satan is out here too as well to try to steal, kill, and destroy. So we understand not everything happens in our life as us doing wrong. Satan's also trying to take advantage of our life. But aren't you glad God's there to help you? So realize what he's saying here. I gave you fivefold ministry gifts, and their goal, their job is to do what? Speak the truth in love. Why? 15, so you'll grow up. You'll grow up. You know, we are living in a society today. Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. People are going to be offended about everything. And today, if you go to a brother or sister, see them doing something wrong in their life that's hurtful, and you try to point it out to help them, they're like, you're condemning me. No, I'm not. I'm not condemning you. I'm trying to help you get out of something that's going to cause great pain to your life. Fivefold ministry gifts are here to do what? Speak the truth because they love you. Are you still here? So you can grow up into all things into him who's the head Christ. 16, from whom? From Christ, the whole body, is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. What does it do? Causes growth of the body and the edifying of itself in love. So Jesus gave a shepherd, say that. Jesus gave us shepherds. He gave us these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Well, where do I get the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and the teacher gift? They come through this pulpit. They come through this pulpit. That's why we bring guest speakers. We don't bring guest speakers because they need your money. You listening? We bring guest speakers like Terry Mize, 53-plus year apostle. You know, missionaries today, we call them, if you're a true missionary, really that's the form of an apostle. You're a forerunner. Terry went into places the gospel never been preached before. And literally, we still bring those people in here. Why? Because you need to hear from those senior apostles to continue to be built up and equipped so you know how to walk out life successful. We bring other teachers in the pulpit like Ray Bench and other great ministers we know like Kenny Gatlin. I'm going to Journey of Faith Church. Pastors are gifted teachers. You have to be able to teach the Word of God. Because you got to do what? you got to build your flock up. I'm going down there as a five-fold ministry gift to Journey of Faith Church to be added into that pulpit as a fulfillment of this Word. If they'll receive what I have from Jesus to give them, they'll get the benefit. Can I get a better amen? Evangelists, we need evangelists in the pulpit. You know why? Because they need to keep us encouraged and sharing our faith. Hallelujah. And keep us fired up about doing it. Because that's what we're here to do. We're here to win people to Jesus. 
The evangelist should keep your heart stirred up on that. Like Tim Grisham. How many times have we brought Tim through this pulpit? So I understand why we bring these five-fold ministry gifts. Because that's what helps you to be equipped. So what if I don't have a shepherd? Then you don't have these other gifts in your life. Can I just go find them online now that I have the internet? Let me help you. The internet's done a lot of harm as well. It's certainly done some good, but more harm probably than good. Because again, you don't know if they're false ministers. You know why? You don't know their life personally. I have people come to me all the time. You ever heard this person? No. You never have? No, they're famous. So, never heard them. Why? One, they're not a spiritual father to me. Two, I don't know anything about them personally. Why would I listen to somebody I know nothing about personally? I don't know if they're false or not just based on what they teach. Now, I can pretty much tell if they're out of line with the Bible. They're either deceived, misled, or they are misleading people. But I don't know their personal life, so how can I know a false minister? You can't without knowing their personal life. Nobody steps in this pulpit. I can tell you that man is not living in sin. He wouldn't be here. I wouldn't let him stand before you and minister to you. You listening? I don't know Steve as well as Matt's known Steve. But I obviously acknowledge that fact that he knows him very well. And I've gotten to know Steve. And I can assure you, as a, as a person of, 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 of a faith ministry context of what you walk out, you learn to get to know people pretty quick. Yeah. I can get around people, just listen to them talk, figure out where they are pretty fast. But you got to understand, all these fivefold gifts all connect with what? You ready? My shepherd. Which puts me under the ultimate shepherd. Yes. And then I get the benefit of what that shepherd has for my life. Go with me to Hebrews. I got to close. Hebrews chapter 13. And did you mention the prophet? The prophet as well. Absolutely. All the fivefold gifts. Our pastor is also a prophet, Dr. Barclay. He has given us prophetic words about this church yes. that obviously aren't his words. It's what God has told us. Go to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. So let me help because most of you have heard this taught many times. So, okay, pastor, I get it. I need a Jehovah Rohi. And I know I'm preaching to the crowd here who obviously is pretty much the choir. But let's be reminded of why we need to stay in position where God called us. So I know pretty much what you're going to teach on about Jesus being my shepherd and how that happens. But what's significant is, is you got to stay there. You got to stay connected where God wants you. Because the devil, Dr. Sumrall, never forget this. I've told you many times, many, many times. Dr. Sumrall, Lester Sumrall changed nations. He didn't change towns. He changed nations, folks. Nations. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who are still alive on the planet because of Dr. Lester Summerall that would have died of starvation, who then took the gospel to him. This man was a world changer. To have connection with Dr. Summerall to our pastor, who was a close spiritual father to our pastor, is incredible. They're driving down the road one day, Dr. Summerall driving. He looks over at pastor, and of course, he said, Mark, he said, I got a question for you. He said, where does the devil fight Christians the most in their life? He said, you always need to take your time to answer Dr. Summerall, because usually if you answer what you thought, and of course it was wrong, he's going to tell you, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. So he said, so I sat there for a minute. I thought, well, he said, uh, Dr. Summerall, let me think about that for a minute. He said, I guess in my time in ministry, I would have to say where you go to church. He said, you know what, son? He said, you're one of the first ministers that I've ever asked that question to that actually had the correct answer. Because the truth is, Jesus, when he left this earth, gave shepherds to the body of Christ. 
And the greatest gift he could have ever given you is a shepherd to help you for him to shepherd, shepherd you through. And without being under the proper shepherd, guess what? Satan can take advantage of your life. If Jesus didn't put him there, number one, Satan can take advantage of your life. If you're not connected with the proper shepherd, then guess what? You're not going to get what God knows you need for your life. I like something Terry Myers, one of our spiritual dads, has said. Many times you've heard it from this pulpit. If there wasn't no devil, ladies and gentlemen, it wouldn't matter where you go to church. Go where you want. It don't matter. But there is a devil. And it does matter. You learn about demons here. We don't focus on them. You learn about them. You learn how they work. Why? Because we're warned in the Bible. But you also are taught a lot here and why we confess it of who you are, what you have, what you can do. We don't emphasize and focus on demons. We talk about what they do to deceive people because they've deceived many and that you don't become one of them and how to use your authority to make sure that doesn't happen. But one of the keys is to make sure Jesus is my Jehovah Rohi, my shepherd. Well, how does he actually do that? Through a shepherd that he gifted to shepherd me. I've taught you this many times, and I'm going to show you one verse here in Hebrews 13. But in John chapter 10, I'm not going there. I'm just going to, going to just, uh, just kind of quote it, parts of it to you. In John chapter 10, everybody knows John 10, 10. Somebody quote John 10, 10 to me. A little louder. John 10, 10. Thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and that more. Any good minister knows you don't ever just take a verse out of its setting to try to teach whatever you want to teach. Now, ultimately, the thief we know is definitely back to, quote-unquote, Satan. There's no doubt about that. Satan's out to steal, kill, and destroy. My next question is, okay, how does he do it? See, I have knowledge if I know John 10.10. I don't have understanding if I don't know how he does that. All I have is knowledge. Okay, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Next question, how does he do that? Go read the first nine verses. Before you ever got to verse 10. Because verse 10 is a statement based on the first nine verses before that. And he begins in those earlier verses talking about the very fact that anybody who ever came into the sheepfold, where the sheep are, to call them out, and they didn't come through the gate. They're a thief, and they're a robber. There you go. So how does Satan still kill and destroy? Through this person... That came into the fold through some other way than the gate. You listening? He goes on to talk about the true shepherds come through the gate. They go into the flock. They call their sheep by name. Their sheep know his voice. Now see, everybody thinks he's talking about himself here, but he's not. The shepherd there in those first nine verses is not Jesus. He even tells you that. Some are looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. He even tells you that before he gets to verse 10. When he finishes talking about the very fact, you'll know this shepherd when he comes into the fold because you'll know his voice. How will you know that? In your spirit. And true sheep won't follow a stranger. They're going to follow who they know. They have a confirmation in their heart who they're supposed to connect with. And what's that shepherd going to do? He's going to lead them out to feed them. Come on. Water them. Build them up. Isn't that right? And so literally after that, he can tell they're not getting it. So he said, so let me explain what I just told you. I'm the door. In that example, in those previous verses, he wasn't the shepherd. He's the door, Ephesians 4. I'm the door to whom the shepherd comes. I'm the one that gifts the shepherd. I'm the one that gives you the shepherd. If I called them, they came through me. We're fulfilling Jeremiah 3.15 in those verses. 
They came through me. They have my heart. They're here to feed you with knowledge and understanding. But if I didn't gift them, if I didn't put them in the pulpit, they climbed up some other way. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to allow Satan to take advantage of your life to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Example, ministers, some maybe by the context of lack of knowledge of the word, who have taught for years healing isn't for everybody. You're stealing, you're killing, and you're destroying. I never forget it, man. I had the Lord deal with me one time, I mean, as direct as he's ever dealt with me, very early on as a pastor, about my third year, I was studying things about the blood and the blood sacrifice Christ made and what that purchased for us. And Jesus, in my spirit, spoke to me, said, you better never take away one thing that my blood purchased in that pulpit from my people. Never. By his stripes you... And sadly, many ministers have said, well, God doesn't heal everybody. Some of that is out of ignorance. Understandably, didn't know any better. But I'm just telling you, that's how Satan steals, kills, and destroys. How does he do it? False doctrine. Because you know what happened? That, well, yeah, I'd have to be in church for that to happen. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. Before you ever went to church, you heard things that were coming actually out of false ministers in church. People told you about things about God that wasn't true. You know where they heard that? From some false minister. And it goes out into the world. And God gets this bad picture of who he is, not according to the Bible, but who he is according to what religion says he is. Well, God's just waiting to get you. No, he's not. He's trying to pick you up. Come on, somebody. So realize the thief coming to steal and killing, destroying is what? He is actually doing so through a false shepherd who didn't come through the door, Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the door. If they came through me and they entered in, they're the true shepherd of the sheep. Jesus' words. And guess what Jesus is doing? He's shepherding you through them. He does go on to say after that, right? He says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the ultimate over shepherd. And what you're doing through the shepherd I gave you is you're letting me shepherd you. Here's how you know you have a hireling. Because when stuff gets tough, they'll leave. Right? Stuff has gotten tough in this church. In 33 years of pastoring, stuff happens. I haven't left yet. Not boasting on me, but how you know a hireling? They don't hang around. When stuff gets tough, he said, they're gone. When the wolf shows up, see, I'm going to go find something easier to do. Go find some other flock easier to pastor than this. But God continues to say to Jesus, I'm that good shepherd. But the way I'm going to shepherd you is through the shepherd I gave you. And how you're going to know it is what? You're going to know when you hear their voice. There's going to be a witness in your spirit. This is my shepherd. Now look at Hebrews 13. In light of that, I want you to look at Hebrews 13. We're just going to look at one verse in closing. Verse 17. Are you there? Watch this. Obey those, obey those who rule over you. The word rule is kind of a bad word here because it actually means they hold up the rule, the standard of God, and they lead by example is what it means. doesn't mean they're ruling over you and bless God, you better do whatever they tell you. No. It means that they're showing you by example how to live. Obey those who rule over you and be what? Submissive. Why? Because they watch out for your souls. They're watching out for your life. As those who will do what? As those who must give an account. To who? Jesus, the ultimate shepherd. Let them do so with joy. What? Shepherd you. And not with grief. For that would what? That would be unprofitable for you. You make it hard for your pastor to shepherd you. It ain't going to be profitable for you. 
Because how do you make it hard for your pastor to shepherd you? Real simple. You just don't receive what the ultimate good shepherd has spoken from the word through your shepherd that's black and white. I'm going to say what Pastor Barclay said. I don't ever have problems with believers who simply take the word to heart and obey it. I don't have any problems with them. And they walk in the light of the truth and they allow Jesus to shepherd them and they get the benefit of what God has for their life. But it's the ones who constantly don't want to do what the Bible says and they come back again and again and again. And that's why I've told you, you come to me marriage counseling, you come to me personal counseling of an issue, guess what I'm going to? The Word of God. And guess what you're going to hear every single time? The Word of God. I'm not going to tell you some opinion I have. You listening? I know a believer who recently went to a quote-unquote supposed you know, Christian counselor. Who's a, she's, a, she's a believer. She's actually at a church. They have a, a ministry there where they actually minister to people in the counseling that they do. And by the second session, her actual spouse, having never been with her in one single session, she is being told by this counselor, I think you might want to divorce them. You've not even talked to the other person. Oh, so you know this person sitting in front of you is telling you everything that's up and up. And you guarantee they ain't, they ain't, they ain't mixing up no words with you. There's no way that they're the problem. Come on. Come on. And they're calling it Christian counseling. Uh, anytime you're dealing with a problem between two people, you need both people present. Amen. 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 But it's simply obeying the word. I didn't say it's always easy. Are you still here? I didn't say it's always easy, but how do you know it's profitable? So listen to this from the Amplified. This, this is a little clearer in the Amplified translation, then I'll close. I'll pray over you. Obey your spiritual leaders. Because that's what it's referring to. The Greek language states it that way. Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them continually, continually recognizing their authority over you. Now, wait a minute. I don't have any authority to make you do anything. What does he mean, continually recognize their authority over you? Recognize that's a gift from God. He's as much a gift from God in my life today as he was the first day I, I received him as a gift from God. But you know what can happen to a lot of people? Remember, we already taught about it in that class, uh, sin of familiarity. And all of a sudden, people who once knew and believed everything black and white in the Bible you taught, I'm serious, you'd be amazed how many people all of a sudden don't believe it anymore. I can show them black, but the Bible didn't change, son. The Bible didn't change, daughter. The Bible still says this. Well, I know it says that, but I just don't believe that way anymore. Okay, believe what you want. But it doesn't change God. It doesn't change His Word. See, that's why it says here in the context of submission, it refers in the Greek to a continual ongoing acknowledgement of that gift. That God gifted them to help me. God gifted them to protect me. God gifted him to help me make right choices and do what's right in the sight of God. Notice, continually recognizing their authority over you, for they, constantly, they, they are constantly keeping watch over your souls and guarding your spiritual warfare as men who will have to render an account of their trust. Do your part to let them do this with gladness and not with sighing and groaning, for that would not be profitable to you either. How do I do that? Simply acknowledge who your shepherd is. If you don't know, find him. But when you do, guess what? Recognize, I'm not submitting to the man. Come on. I'm not submitting to the person. What am I submitting to, church? I'm submitting to a gift that Jesus put on their life to teach me with knowledge and understanding what the Word of God says. I don't come in and say, well, I know pastor says that, but. Now, wait a minute. What have I told you? Don't ever believe anything I tell you just because I told you. You go back to the Bible, prove it yourself. But if it's black and white in the Bible, you're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with God. That's going to hurt your life. 
Thank God for those of you that have done uh, exactly what that scripture says and submit it. Some of you have given, not to me, yeah, to the Word of God. Some of you have given your testimonies and said, you know what? I didn't like what Pastor was saying, but I kept, man, I need to hear that. I need to do that. And guess what? They're walking in liberty today. How many are walking in liberty in some things today? Because you received the Word and you submitted to it, did what it said. So guess what Jesus wants to do? He wants to be your Jehovah Rohi. He wants you to not lack. He wants you to have a place to gather. He wants you to have it be a place without strife or division. He wants you to be where your soul can be renewed. You can receive proper biblical guidance, protection through pastoral care, feast on the Word of God, and have the anointing on your life. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.